with like super compensation curves and, and all these other things, right? And what I love about it is athletes and employees were the same, right? We're still biological systems that still get stressed out and still need time to recover. And Coinbase is sort of really playing into that um, with this playbook. Yeah, Brian, I think, um, I mean, a high performance environment is a high performance environment. It doesn't matter if you're, you're, you're playing a sport or you're working for a tech company or, or any other, anything else, right? So uh, a company like Coinbase, which has very lofty goals, they're recruiting, they're recruiting high performers and high performers, you know, they, they expect a certain level of, of, of uh, intensity that they're expected to perform at. And a lot of the times if they don't get that and that's, they don't get coached on that and managed on that and pushed on that, they'll end up going somewhere else even if they don't know that that's the reason why they, they, they're, they're not happy. But on the flip side, you've also got the, the recovery side of things too. You can't push and push and push until they burn out. Right. But they're, they are, they are the workhorses that, that, that have the ability to be pushed. Mm -hmm. Right. So you have to have that, that structure in place where, yeah, we're going to go really hard. We're going to give you a chance. We're going to back off. We're going to give you a chance to recover, but you know, we have this very lofty goal. We want to win. We want success, whatever it is. A lot of people like the idea of success, like the idea of winning, but when it comes down to actually putting in the hard work, then you find out, you know, who the real players are. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting how they've they've come out front and said, yeah, it's not going to be easy here, right? But by saying that, they're already appealing to the people who are like, okay, mm -hmm. I, that's what I want. I don't want easy, right? I want to be successful, but I don't want easy. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Um, and it lends itself to a culture standpoint, right? It's like, what type of culture do you want to build? Like we, we work with this in professional sports all the time, right, Scott? Is that, you know, we try to create high-performance cultures. And that does mean stretching and potentially burning out a little bit or potentially overtraining a little bit. Like, that's, that's part of high-performance. We talked about this before we jumped on this call. That high-performance always has a cost, right? But it's us as leaders and managers to be able to understand what that cost was and help them recover, which is exactly what Coinbase is doing with this playbook. They're saying, listen, team, we're going to we're going to push this. But we know there's a negative cost associated with it. So we're going to help you recover a little bit so we can do it again. And I say this all the time. And Scott, you know, I probably stole this from sports is like, you know, the teams that win are the teams that can repeat performance over and over again with minimal cost, right? minimal cost. I think she might have stole that from Charlie or, or someone like that. Yeah. Um, and that's what Coinbase is doing, is that they're repeating performance um, in a duplicatable manner. So just to dive deeper into one of those components, because I think there's obviously a, an optimal window of when you should start to ramp your team up right? It's, it's the knowing when that performance window is open so you can, you know, trigger doubling down on all the work that you have to do. Um, a lot of people have smartwatches. I have a, a Fitbit and it has a, a readiness score. So it kind of calculates a bunch of different things that I've done throughout the day and it'll give me a readiness score for performance for the next day. So how can we kind of explain that for people so they can apply that into their team, Scott? Is there um, a way to understand a team's readiness window so they could implement something like this effectively. Yeah, I think so. I mean, first is you have to look at, you have to have metrics. You can't, this is, it can be a guessing game. So we have to have, 
you know, some very objective measurements that we're doing, even if those me the measurements themselves are subjective questions like you're using, but it's giving you back some objective data that you can be like, here's where my team is at, right? And this is where, this is direction that we're going or that they're going at the moment. So I know I can do X, Y, and Z, or I need to do A, B, and C. So when you're, when you're trying to look at, at a strategy like this, like from sports, so, you know, if, if we want a high intensity performance out of our teams or our athletes, I can't pile that on top of the high performance, high intensity thing they just did yesterday, right? Like there has to be an understanding that, you know, you can't burn the candle at both ends, right? I can't expect a high performance immediately after another high performance. So it has to be, you know, there has to be a period of lull before I ask them to perform hard again. Right now, that's different for everyone, and I would imagine the managers know their team and know who they're dealing with. But they need—they also would have to look at that stuff and be like, "All right, well, what's the culture that I've created? Right? What's what's the health of of my of my employees? What's the health of my team? Are they do they feel healthy? Or are we coming off a huge quarter, you know, or a huge season that's just burnt everybody out? And this is the wrong time to try to ask them to push, right? You know, so a lot of this has to do with time. It's all timing." It's all basically timing like you everyone's going to have different uh, expectations and everyone's going to have different abilities but as a coach i need to understand those things and then be like all right this is when i can push and this is when i need to back off yeah to, the, to that point Asian, if i can add something to that yeah. you know we talk a lot about uh in sports we talk a ton about monotony right like monotony is a, a, a thing that is like uh i think i forget who the researcher was but he looked at like um like session rpe um over time and then and he used that as like a strain score right to understand how monotonous is sort of your training over time and I, I don't think we think about that when we're when we're putting like we're setting goals for our teams right like like because what ends up happening is like you work at a company year over year for freaking decades and nothing ever changes so i love using a playbook like this where you're almost introducing it as like a stimulus of change right? Where like, normally this is what we do. These are your normal goals. These are your normal hours. You've been doing this for fucking 15 years, you know, but now we're going to mix things up, right? Like how powerful is that to say, like, let's mix things up because yes, it might cause a little stress, but that stress might be exactly what that team needs to be able to sort of break through to sort of that level of higher performance. Would you agree with that, Scott? Well, yeah, I think for, a lot, you know, stress and conflict are not negative. They don't have to be negative. So, you know, you need you need stress to create some kind of reaction or some kind of adaptation. You know, so you have to you have to impart some kind of stress if you want a response. Now, the question is, you have you know, what what is the stress you need to impart to get the response that you want? It's the same with conflict in my, you know, in my mind, like conflict doesn't have to be bad. You can have conflict. Conflict can actually spur change, spur innovation, you know, spur things like that. Right, but it can also have negative consequences. But yeah, the monotony of training is something that we deal with as coaches all the time and trying to break that up with people, give them something interesting to do, you know, change something up on a day to keep them interested, to keep them, you know, excited and motivated to want to do, to want to excel because doing the same monotonous thing every day will lead to burnout, even if what you're doing isn't actually leading to burnout. Mm -hmm. Just the mental aspect of like, oh, I gotta go in and do the same thing again. You know, and you do that year after year after year, or week after week, and you'll just lose people. I think, um, I mean, I've definitely worked in those monotonous environments before. Like earlier on in my career, I used to work in uh, the financial sector, 
and they're a lot more hesitant to you know take big leaps or try really crazy things during the day it's like you know what your tasks are and the things you have to do to develop products and you kind of just do the same thing every day um i think one thing that i really noticed that a playbook like this could probably help bigger companies like that is there's a lot of benefits to working in high growth startup environments because they're pretty agile they're they're quick to implement change and they're really good at trying these you know safe to fail experiments like our playbooks to figure out how to ramp you up so taking something like this and and putting it into a more corporate environment um you know even running it with just a team is like a really easy way to sort of learn if shaking things up in this way can drive the performance you want and then you can always implement it on a bigger scale so i think a lot of people you may be in corporate environments might look at this and not see how it could be easily implemented but if they just segmented out into thinking of their company in these you know micro co cohorts or smaller teams they could really just try these micro experiments and and see that they actually do work it's it's a great point, and I think we talked on this the uh, the last um, webinar that we did about like individual tribes within your within your organization, right? And then, and Scott, you know about this within sports. It's your offensive line lineman and your defensive lineman are completely different people. Yeah, you your wideouts and your cornerbacks and your quarter like they're all completely different, which is why they have offensive line coaches and defensive line coaches and whatever else. But what's interesting, and you see this within companies, it's the same exact way, is that like a sales team is so very, very different than a customer success team or an engineering team. And that's why like playbooks and growth windows and some of the things that we talk about and using data to drive decision-making is so powerful because it gives you insights on those safe to fail experiments that you should be running with a specific team. And we talk about this all the time, but. Sometimes one team may need a four day work week while the other team might need a seven day work week. But we don't think about that, right? We think of like culture as a company being this gigantic organism, what it's not, right? It's a, it's a series of micro organisms all collectively sort of moving this one big sort of organism forward. But much like the human body, you have to run different systems and different things or different strategies to improve different things. And companies are no different. Um, do, you, do you agree with that, Scott? Yeah, I, well, yeah, of course. I mean, you, you, that's just being a coach, being a manager, you know, like knowing your team. Like, you know, so if you have a giant, like football team is a good analogy. So you have a giant team with 60 or 80 members. But like you said, they're, they're micro teams, different positions, different functions that are completely different. So they need different managers, different coaches to be able to, to manage and coach them. And then they can all collectively come together on Sunday or Saturday and say, all right, we all know what our job is. Let's get the, let's, let's hit the goal that we've all decided, you know, we're, we're trying to hit, which is to win the game. But you know, this, the microcycle idea is also the same in programming. We, we talk about these safe to fail experiments. You know, we have a, a program that we write out and we're trying to elicit a certain result at the end. But, but we always have little micro cycles in that program of two weeks or three weeks or whatever else, or we can try certain things, try to dose certain things and see, let's see if this works. Let's see if that works. And if it doesn't work out necessarily the way that we wanted it, it to, to work, it doesn't screw up the entire plan, right? It just means, oh, that didn't work. That didn't turn out the way we wanted it to mm -hmm. on to the next thing, but it's safe to, it's safe to put those in, you know, a, a, two, a little two week micro cycle and say, you know, let's try this and see how they adapt to that. And then if it works, now we have, 
you know, another thing that we can use, another uh, tool in our toolbox that we know might lead to success. Yeah, great point. I just want to add something in here, a little bit about um, how understanding the performance plan actually affects the outcome. So if we're presenting a performance plan like this to our teams, what have you guys noticed in terms of how knowing the plan affects the outcome in a positive way? Because I'll give you an example. Like, let's say you're, you know, training an athlete or something sports related and they have no idea what their their training regimen looks like. And then you're just going to be kind of peppering in a couple really high intensity days. There must be some psychological effect on not knowing when you're going to have the downtime. Uh, or knowing when you're going to have to ramp up so because you're mentally preparing yourself to to execute right so i feel like one way that we really um, don't prepare our people in teams is we just pile on the work and then there's no foresight to the end or you know that we were even going to start in the beginning so the preparation almost psychologically and physically improves the outcome as well um, is that something you guys have, have noticed yeah, I mean, working with athletes, so the analogy that I would bring is, you know, when coming to competition, especially, but even just the actual act of training itself, um, I've always been an advocate that an educated athlete is a better athlete. So I, I, I'm always teaching my athletes, like what we're doing, but also why we're doing it, and what the purpose, what the intent is, because the more buy-in you get, you're going to get out of them, the, the better their performance is going to be and the better they're going to get out of it. Right? And then when it comes to the overall macro plan, like, what we're trying to accomplish right i try to map that out to them as much as possible and say you know this these two weeks or this week we're trying to accomplish x and then we're going to move on to this because yeah i would agree if you're if you're blind if you're an athlete and you're you're just training and you're putting 100 trust and confidence in your coach that's great but yeah you have no idea when you're going to get rest when you're going to be asked to step it up you know um when you're going to when your performance is going to suffer because in training it will suffer at some point because you're stressing the body so much and waiting for an adaptation to happen and if the person doesn't know that that's coming they don't understand the reasons why that's happening you can negatively affect their mindset and then that's going to have a cascade of effects down the road yeah and and it's important to understand is that what when you talk about stress and adaptation it's not just an athlete yeah, like you have a new employee start a start onboarding at a, at a company, like they have a college kid that just graduated college, just moved to New York City for the first time, first time living away from his parents, has no money, and just started a new job at some high growth tech company. That's, that's stressful. Man. There's a lot of stress there. There's a lot of adaptation, you know, but we don't, we don't think about that. Um, you know, but, but to that point, Scott, I mean, this is, this is for you. Why are we so reactive when it comes to burnout and mental health and, you know, things like resiliency and whatnot in the workplace? Like, Where did that come from, do you think? And how can we sort of change that a little bit and sort of almost like prepare for burnout to happen or at least pepper in either playbooks or strategies to make sure it doesn't happen? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Do you want my long philosophical answer, or do you want my practical answer? <laughs> I, I do. I, I, whatever you want to do. <laughs> uh, well, part of that I think is a culture in our country, right? Mm -hmm. Like a work culture, right? Like you look at other countries that are are as developed or more developed than we are, and they have shorter work weeks and they get more vacation. And as far you know, from what I've read, their product productivity is is as good or higher on like the employee by employee basis. 
right? So we just have a culture in our country of the, the more you work, you know, the better the results will be, right? And I'm reminded of a quote by a coach that I think both you and I know, Walter Norton Jr., which is, um, if all you have is effort, you hit your ceiling very quickly, right? So there's, you know, like trying hard is good. We all want everyone to try hard, but there's a there's a whole bunch of other factors that go on there. So your skill, you know, how, how good you are at what you're actually trying to do, but being able to anticipate, you know, and, and program in rest, recovery, things like that, those are the, going to be the drivers of performance eventually, right? Because you, you can't live in this gray zone of like, try as hard as I can, but you're not because you can't go 100%, 100% of the time. So at some point you're not, yeah, I guess you're trying as hard as you can, but you're not performing as, as high as you can, right? Like, you know, Louis said, uh, intensity is a mathematical equation, not a feeling, mm. you know, it's like you either are performing at a hundred percent or a 95% or you're not right. So it's not a matter of like how hard you're actually trying. So if you're not pro, if we're not learning, like, all right, we need to get in front of this stuff. And like Mike says, take the, take our foot off the brake, not put our foot on the gas. Right. That's the thing that's holding us back. We, we have our foot on the brake all the time because we're not we're not a cognizant of the things that are impeding us. So we're just trying to go faster and harder. And it's like having the parking brake on the whole time and just, you know, slamming on the gas and be like, well, I'm going, but I'm not I'm, I'm not getting as I'm not going as fast as I want to go because there's something stopping you. Not because you're not giving it enough gas. It's because it's because there's something actually putting its foot on the brake saying, no, nope, not today. And if we understand a little bit more about, you know, what those things could be, what they are and how to, how to get in front of them, that will be the thing that drives performance. Yeah. And it's almost too, it's just like, because we're all we know is effort. We don't even know what true, our true high intensity is, right? Like you don't, you don't know what 95% or a hundred percent is because you're always stuck at 80 or 82. Right. And that's like, that's your operating sort of capacity right there. All right. And anytime you sort of try to, ramp it up a little bit more, that's when that cost sort of comes in, right? Because you've been at 82 or 79 for the past 20 years, right? Yeah. And you don't know how to turn it off and you don't know how to increase it or turn it on, um, which is exactly where burnout comes from. Well, and the other, you know, being at 95 per, uh, to hundred percent really sucks. Mm -hmm. Like it's hard, right? It doesn't feel good. And I don't care if we're talking mentally or physically or whatever else. It's not, if you're going, if you're performing at that actual percentage of your ability it's something you can't do for very long and it and it's not comfortable right so you have to learn to be uncomfortable and get comfortable being uncomfortable but also understand that there's you can only do that for so long and then there's going to be a time where you have to rest and recover so you can do it again and what was that quote again if all you have is effort you hit your ceiling very quickly is that what it is yeah that was that was legit dude. yeah one of my favorites uh, i like so. that it's like the we only have two conversations. We don't have a conversation of the balance between the two. It's like we either have the conversation of, you know, idolizing kind of like the Elon Musk workday where he like gets up at like 3 a.m. or something and then just like kills it until 3 o'clock in the morning. You're like, there's that version of us where we feel like we always have to be running. And then there's this other conversation where it's like we really have to like constantly be mindful of, you know, burnout and really not trying to push that boundary too much and like kind of dissing hustle culture. But that balance between the two is where we actually are optimizing our performance, which is what we're trying to say here, where it's like, you know, recover when necessary, but dedicate that time to the recovery. So then you can plan for the high intensity and actually reach a higher maximum. 
Um, and you can do that with sports, you can do that with your teams, but we wanna remember the relationship between the two because I feel like you know, on LinkedIn, it's sort of like two one-sided conversations that never interconnect. And then people are never understanding how to even you know, gain on top of the momentum that they're already trying to set. Yep. So um, is there anything that like other than our readiness window, is there any other actions that we should take or keep in mind when running something like this, Brian? Um, yeah, I, I'm actually tweeting uh, Scott's uh, if you hit if you have an effort thing right now. <laughs> nice. um, you know, it's a uh, it's understanding your direction of travel. I think that's the most important part, right? Like, what where do you want to end up through this? Like, because there, like we said before, there there is a, a way to do this and actually causing a. a uh, almost a recovery response, right? Or at least a, a dis disruption of monotony and causing a positive stress. So is that what you're trying to do? Or are you doing the opposite side of it when you're looking to really sort of ramp up stress with your team and then get after it? So think about the direction of travel, understand how you long you want to do it for, understand, and you can use Leon for this, what your growth window is, right? Like what is the cost of doing this? If you're in the green, which we call a challenge window within Leon, for like health or resiliency or even culture and Scott to our conversation, like, do you have the culture to be able to implement something like this? Right? So if you have a, a challenge window within Leon, maybe that's the time you, you know, you push the pedal down, right? On the opposite side of that, if you have a support window, if you see that your team is starting to burn out a little bit, or mental health is an issue or culture is sort of like a real problem. Maybe this is not the right time. You know, maybe this is the time where so maybe you back off a little bit, let your implement some sort of other support playbook where the team can sort of like maybe downregulate and recover and then program this like Scott was talking about program this in for next month with the focus that these next three weeks, our direction of travel is recovery. That fourth week, our direction of travel is stress. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it, culture. Culture to me is is you can either have the culture, you know, you have to identify whether you have the culture to actually actually implement something like this. And then once you do implement it, when you're looking at those Leon metrics as to, you know, where everybody's at and, and how long you're going to be able to run a challenge like this or a playbook like this before you have to like hit the brakes or just stop, you know, the health markers, the resiliency markers, those can go down. Because for me, that's like when you're training a team, yeah, they're going to come in, they're going to be sore, they're going to be tired. You know, there's, an, there's an effect of what we're trying to do that's going to be somewhat not necessarily positive on them, um, but but that's okay. That's to be expected. You know, you have to you have to work around that or whatever else. But if I, if I had a team come in after a while and they were you know morale was low, no one really wanted to be there. Like you know the culture of of the training session started to to uh, degrade. Now I know. All right, now we need you know we need to do something different or whatever else because now they're at a point where I'm 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 in danger of, of pushing them beyond the ability to adapt and we're going to go into the negative on everything. And then we're not going to accomplish whatever, whatever it is we're trying to accomplish. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, there's probably like some basic and more advanced ways to run this type of playbook within a team. And it really kind of goes back to Brian, just understanding the different nuances of the teams, right? So let's say I'll use an example. You're trying to, over the course of, course of a quarter, uh, push out something on a product for a product feature. So maybe you actually run the uh, challenge or peak weeks 
or peak couple weeks at different times with different teams. So you have different teams peaking while others are resting. And it's sort of like, you know, you, if you're running it as a full team, then you have your whole team off or your whole company off in the, in the rest week, right? Which might not always be optimal, but if you could figure out these different optimal windows using the data, you could actually probably create a cycle where you're, you have different peak performances in different teams throughout the whole year. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to take a full, you know, company week off to recover. Um, and that could probably just, you know, be like more of the well-oiled machine on how do you continue performance long-term, right? Yeah, that's a great point. Like that, that zooming out concept, I think is, is super important, right? Like look at your, look at your year, all right? Figure out where your major milestones are. Even better, look back at your data, your Leon data from last year and figure out looking at data, where did the team drop, right? And then maybe what you do is the month before that, this is when you run this playbook, right? Because you know they're gonna drop anyway and it's gonna be a super intense month. Let's get as much out of them we can. Or maybe, you know, that's when, um, yeah, I mean, like you, you can plan around sort of the data to a certain extent. Like we know that every December that a sales team is gonna just die on the vine, right? Because they're trying to close every deal possible, all right, to January. So maybe you, you program around that, right? Maybe you, you know, in November, you run a peak month, all right, to fill their pipeline. So December is that much easier for them. So they can go into January recovered and then be able to do it again come January 15th. It's a, it's a great presentation. Yeah, I would think it's the same as, you know, you're just preparing them for what they're about to, uh, what they're about to undergo, mm -hmm. right? Just like an accumulation phase in, in training. Right. Increasing volume, and then we increase intensity to prepare them for what's going to be the hardest, right? And then we drop it down, right? Mm -hmm. So if you know December is going to be super hard, maybe make November not so easy, right? Mm -hmm. maybe dose, maybe dose some of that stuff in. So when December comes, they're like, oh, this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be because I've already been doing this. You know, coaches use that that phrase all you know, make practice harder than competition, which is impossible, but you know, that's mm -hmm. that's kind of the goal. So it's not, if practice is really hard, then when they get to the game, the game doesn't seem so hard. Yeah. yeah, great point. I think just as we kind of wrap things up, one thing I want to make sure we talk about is just really emphasizing that with these playbooks, we want to help people understand that there really is no failure here. Like there really is no way that taking a chance and doing this would result in a failure because even like Scott, to your point, how there's all these like micro adjustments that you're making as you learn, as you get data back, you see, okay, this didn't work. I make a micro adjustment. I move on. Like at the very least you tried something, learned an opportunity of how to adjust it. And maybe you peaked performance for a little bit, but not the full four weeks. Like you decided you wanted to, like, is that a fail? Absolutely not. So just being more um, more into agile and adaptability frameworks as a manager, instead of being so worried about whatever failure is in your mind, like just implement it, use the data, make micro adjustments, improve, move on. Everybody's going to be, you know, morale boosted because at least things are being done. Like we're trying things, right? Nobody's ever going to fault you for trying. Um, so I think that that's a culture that we need to start talking about more in leadership too, is just, you know, don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to try what you learn is ultimately never going to be a failure at the end of it. So great point. Asia. Yeah. There's a well-known, uh, um, phenomenon in, in the physical training world, um, that 
even a, a a mediocre program if it's if it's implemented and designed and followed well and the person doing it believes in it you will get good results right so it doesn't have to be the perfect plan right it just needs to be you just need to take the chance take the risk not be afraid to fail like you said right not be afraid to 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 not reach the goal that you wanted to right knowing that you will get some positive aspects out of it and you can learn from that and and be and and then take what you learn from that and implement it into the the next thing that you decide yeah I, and I, I to your point scott it's we're all human beings you know and there is no best practice when it comes down to managing you know a 50 person sales team or a 100 person sales team it's all emergent practice you know we learn after the fact all yeah. right and you know tasia you just can't be afraid to fail and most more, most importantly have fun man like i guarantee you you know most companies are not going out there and just beating up their employees right they're not cursing them out you know they're they're not supporting them monotony is probably one of the bigger issues that you see with burnout and just people just generally just not liking their job right so use this playbook and see if that helps totally agree um i think yeah it sounds like that's a good place to end things there so thank you so much, Scott, for being here with us for this discussion. Again, we run these uh, different playbook discussions every week. So stay tuned to find out when the next one's going to drop. Thank Thanks you so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. See ya.